Well, here's a couple overview lessons before we get into verse by verse. And the first is this. And I think the first is kind of funny. You know, you read both of these chapters and you get to every couple paragraphs, you get to this phrase that said, and the rest of this guy's record is recorded in this other book. You're like, well, where's that other book? And you're digging through scripture. You're like, I can't find it. I can't. Okay, it's not in scripture. So here's just kind of a neat lesson for us. And you got to take this, take this and make sure you weigh it right. It's okay to use other stuff when trying to find out history. And I, and I say that because this, you got, you got two, two opposing views. You got, you got Christians who are afraid to use any outside source and afraid to take it in. You don't have to, God is not afraid of outside sources. So you don't have to be afraid of outside sources when it comes to history. Now also, there is always a disclaimer when you look into that. It didn't make it into the Word of God. So therefore understand it doesn't have as much value as the Word of God. So it's okay to use outside stuff. Just make sure you place it in its appropriate weighted categories. That makes sense? We understand. You don't have to be afraid of outside sources. You don't have to be afraid of history books. I think sometimes we're like afraid of, maybe not with history, but sometimes Christians get so afraid of science. Why? You know who invented science? You know who made science? You know who's allowed them to discover and do all this stuff? Yeah, so why are you afraid of it? God's not afraid of it. Why should we be afraid of it? All right, so there's there's a little lesson. Second one, you read these two chapters and it makes you ask some questions. So so this kind of gets you should get you thinking. You know, and when you think, maybe one of them is this. What will I be remembered for? All this is is a giant history account for, what, 40-something years of, of this nation. So, so what will I be remembered for? Will people consider me a man or woman of God? All these chapters, we really only got one guy who walked in. He ends up making mistakes, but one guy who actually, you could say, was the good guy in all this. Well, they say I'm an effective minister of the gospel. Anything, but my job's not to, to minister. Yes, if you're a believer, your job is to minister the gospel. You don't have to have the title preacher or anything like that to get it done. That's your job as a believer. After it's all said and done, will people, what will people remember about my life and my ministry? And if you're thinking, well, I don't have a ministry, well, there in itself is a problem you need to go ahead and, and write down and make sure you address. All right, so, so they get you thinking, gets a lesson. Here's a promising fact of it. After all this gloom, two chapters, 40-something years plus, of a lot of history, a long line of failures and occasional success here and there. God never abandons his people. He's there. He's riding out this way that no, he doesn't like. Yes, he's got to do some things that no daddy likes to do, but he's riding it out and he never abandons us. So I love the fact that we read these chapters and God is still there throughout the whole thing. Cause it'd be easy to read it and be like, man, you know, why did, why didn't God leave? Cause he loves you. Cause he's got a plan to bring his king. That's going to take care of everything. That'd be better than all these kings. All right. So you got that promise. And then you just got this fact right here that you see on the screen. Chapters like this show us that God keeps track. Cause we live in a day in a society where we don't think that God keeps track. And I'm telling you now, God keeps track of every detail. Okay. Every detail God keeps track of. So as we jump into this thing and, and go through these verses, understand God is keeping Track of all this. Yeah, you got, you got a lot of years covered in two chapters, but you also got the whole book of Chronicles that mimics everything that, that we're reading. So if you want more detail, go there. You, you've got some other history books as, as, as the scripture itself even says that, that list all this stuff. So there's a lot there. So let's jump into it. And we're going to pause in the middle for, for a little bit longer, but we're going to get through all of it, I promise. All right. Verse one. Uh, this guy becomes king over Judah in the very beginning. He's the son of Rehoboam. He only reigns three years, which tells us what? God is not happy with him. Right. You know, I, I, I laughed, you know, my wife told on herself that she didn't follow her pastor's advice and, and read in advance. Like I know all the rest of you did. 
I know all the rest of you did that because you know where we're going in a series. So, but, but, but she said she didn't. And you heard that pause when we got to, to Zimri, who only had seven days. Yeah, you know, seven days. She repeated it just to make sure you got it. Uh, you know, some of these guys got short reign because God ain't happy with them. You know, God is not going to bless something he's not happy with. And when we jump into this, here's where I would say this even gets sadder for this guy. Um, we're not going to be able to do this with all the guys. But when you compare this with Second Chronicles chapter 13. So Second Chronicles 13, you get a little more detail about this guy. And it actually says this: this guy knew something about the Lord. This guy even preached. Something about the Lord. So you read that in Chronicles 13 and then you tie it in with what it says right here. And what we know, here's the truth. He may have knew something about the Lord. He may have even preached about the Lord, but he didn't let it affect him enough to uproot the idolatry and the pagan worship and the sexual morality and all the other stuff that his daddy had started and he allowed to continue to go on. So, so you could jot this down as just a free note. If no one doesn't affect what we do, there's a problem. If what you know doesn't affect what you do, there's a problem. This guy knew it. That, I mean, that, it makes it even sadder to me when you read this and you realize, man, this guy had a little bit of a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of detail. And he could have. No, but he chose not to. And when you and I know something and still choose not to do something, there's consequences. Look, look at what it says. Verse three. His heart was not loyal to the Lord as God, as was the heart of, of his father, David. Now, of course, that's not his father. It'd be like his, his great, great grandfather or whatever. But but here's the real problem with his reign. He doesn't have any relationship with God. God doesn't care just about what we know and what we've memorized from this book and that book. God cares about that deep, meaningful relationship that's going to affect how we live. And when we choose to do nothing, we got to understand that there are great consequences. Almost as great sometimes as when we choose to do the wrong thing. Okay? Choosing to do nothing is just as bad sometimes as choosing to do the wrong thing. So, so we get through this first guy. We, we go through him fast because he doesn't have a lot. And then we get to where we're going to spend most of our most of our time, because this guy keeps getting mentioned for two chapters. We get to King Asa, verse 9, through well, really through all both chapters, because his name keeps coming up, right? But but here's the first thing I wrote down about King Asa. You can tell a lot about a person's character by how they handle the hard choices. You can tell a lot about a person's character by how they handle the hard choices in life. You know, when something's going easy, of course you can make new decisions, right? So I love the, the, the song we just sang. Well, well yes, I will. What did it say? I'm going to say yes, I will. And I'm going to raise my hands when I'm in the what? Oh, no. Some of y'all just repeated words because you read them on the screen and, and that's real bad, right? What did it say? When I'm in the, I'm in the valley. When I'm in the lowest valley. Now think about how much of, of a decision you got to make to choose and say, yes, I will. When I'm in the lowest valley. It's easy to say yes when I'm on the top and on the mountaintop and things are going well. But when you say yes when you're in the valley, that's what this guy, this guy chooses to do in the hard times right here, all right? So we jump into this. It goes through both chapters. He's repeated the most. He, he's probably one of the only ones we could say is a, is a, is a great king um, as far as in the, in the realm of, of where he's at. And I want to read 11 through 14 and tell you why he gets this, this recognition from us at least. Rereading it. 11, it says, Asa did what was right in the Lord's sight. You want to get on the good list? You do what's right in the Lord's sight. We ain't talking about Santa Claus here, okay? And his ancestor David had done. Uh, verse 12, he banished the male. What did he do? He did what was right. Well, well, well knowing it, we just talked about it, knowing it and doing it, it's two different things. So he knew it, and then he did it. He banished the male cult prostitutes from the land. He removed all the idols for his father had made. He also removed his grandmother. You know what's bad when you got a fire granny? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, times is bad when you got a fire granny. Granny maker, you got to go. Right. That's, that's where he's at, though. He's, he's hardcore, man. He's doing it right. 
Why? Because she made this obscene image of Asher. Now, pause right there for just a minute. Because we need to understand something. When we get our priorities mixed up is when everything else gets mixed up, right? So, so this God that, that she's made this pole to and she's going, this will be like the God of fertility for them. So now we know, now just taking a, a broad view of how the world views stuff, women view themselves successful, especially in Bible times, by how many kids they can produce. I mean, you think about that. Even even some of the, the poor judgment on other women was, was because of not having a certain number of kids and, and all that stuff going. So because they held that value, is that God's value? Is there a verse that said that was the no, no, that was a human made value. And because they hid that human made value, then these people would look at this God with higher recognition. And when they didn't get it and they weren't doing what, what they thought, what the world thought was successful, then they began to worship this God. So so this leads a, a country into a, a heap of trouble as he goes through this thing. So it says this verse 14. Actually, I'm sorry. Let me finish uh, verse 13. So so he chops down this image. And he burned it in the Kidron Valley. Anybody know what the Kidron Valley is? You might have remembered it from a couple weeks ago we mentioned it. It's where they burn all the dung. Now, y'all remember dung is a polite word for, hmm, right? You got that? All right. So that's where that's where it deserves to go, with a pile of crap, and burn it up. Verse 14, the high places were not taken away, but Asa wholeheartedly devoted his entire life to following the Lord. All capitalized, so that's Yahweh. He brought his father consecrated gifts and his own consecrated gifts back into the temple, the silver, the gold, and, and, and the utensils. Now, this guy's getting real. Now, remember, we looked like they, they had lost the value of everything. They, they had spent all the gold that had been saved and even the, the silver and everything else. This guy's like, I understand how to get stuff back. And, and he begins to do this. And, and I, I got to point this out now, because when you talk about it being a rough day to fire granny, uh, yeah, that's a rough day. But you need to understand, like, why this guy stands out so much. And, and, and we read the phrase that he did what God wanted to do. But you need to understand this. This guy's not without problems. He's going to have some some problems that may have you caught in the verses or we're going to look at in a minute. But this guy had to overcome a large family influence of tradition. And I think some of the biggest things combating the churches today is a large family tradition. Seriously. So so you just just to look at this guy's family history, if you hadn't been with us, okay? Throughout the, the, the whole series of kings, right? You got Rehoboam, which is which is Asa's grandfather. He splits the kingdom. You know, that's, that's where the kingdom first splits. All these fighting and, and stuff still goes and, and things get tough. Uh, he's the one who keeps the conflict with the northern kingdom and the rule of his reign. His grandmama's worshiping idols. We talked about that. Uh, Rehoboam's son, Asher's dad, is sinful and following the footsteps of his dad. Um, he seems to, to have ruled, you know, why daddy was away at war and, and he didn't change anything, of course. I'm pointing this out to show you guys, this is the environment this guy's born in. Because we'll be quick to use an excuse sometimes. Oh, you don't understand the environment I was born in. Or you don't understand where I was, where I was brought up and how I was brought up. Your environment doesn't have to determine your destiny. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't make it easier and harder and all that kind of stuff and everything in between. But, but get rid of the excuse of your environment has to determine your destiny because it doesn't have to. All right. You, you can, you can man up just like Asa does and, and get some stuff going. In his reign, he's determined to follow God. What does it say in his, in his public practice? This isn't a private affair for this guy, you know, like like the first king. This is something he's doing in the public. I mean, he's going through ripping out idols, throwing away. He's cleaning out the temples. He's firing granny. I mean, this is this is not like this this private thing. This is very public and in the open. And I guarantee people aren't liking it. People are upset about what's going on and they're not happy because he's changing the way they've been doing things for a great period of time. He's on the throne and he's overcoming tradition. And look at this. Second Chronicles, chapter 15. I only put a couple. I told Crystal to put a couple of verses on the screen. I ain't put none on the screen, of course. 
But I wanted to read a couple more than what we put up. If you look up there, verses 1 and 2 are on the screen. But, but I'm going to read, read various ones throughout, verses 1 through 9 or so, okay? It says, The Spirit of God came on uh, the son of Odin. He went out, met Asa, Asa, and said to him, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, hear me. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will be abandoned by you. This guy believed the word of the prophet. Do you believe the word of the prophet? Because I would say this word is true for just as just as much as us as it was for him. What's it say? If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will be you will be abandoned by him. Now, now we've got a long list of kings that we just listed on how many get abandoned and only one that stays. So, so God is true at his word. It says for many years, Israel goes without the one true God, without without the priest, without instruction. We've been on that for weeks on previous chapters where they went wrong. Uh, they turned against the Lord of Israel. They gave him in distress. Uh, in these times, there's no peace. We know there's a war between the north and the south. We've been talking about that for weeks. Also, they've got many conflicts. And in verse six, the nation was crushed by nation, destroying themselves and city by city. So these are all God's people that have been divided now and are fighting one another for God troubled them with every possible distress. What did it say? For who troubled them? God troubled them. You understand sometimes the mercy of God is to cause some trouble in our life. It's the mercy and the grace of God sometimes to shake things up, to get our attention. And then verse 7, but as for you, be strong and don't give up for your work has a reward. Now that's something everybody would like to hear, right? He hears it in verse 8. When Asa heard these words from the prophet, he took courage and he began to go to work. And there's where we got what we just read in chapter 15. Because uh, Chronicles uh, 13 also lists how he got rid of the poles and he removed this and he fired granny and, and all the stuff that repeats it all. So he heard a word from the Lord and it encouraged him enough to go to work. Now, my, my greatest fear sometimes, is to be blunt and honest with you guys, is that we'll hear a great word from God for 45 minutes or so. And we don't go out the door and do nothing with it. We don't let the courage fill us up to, to let it make any difference in our life. What you can really say on First Chron- or Second Chronicles 15, and I guess since it mimics First uh, Kings 15 here, is revival's actually starting finally for the land of God. Now it, it doesn't make it all the way around, but but revival has started. Asa's in a tight spot. He's on the throne of Judah, and he understands this. This is not just a political office. This is a ministry and a calling. What does Scripture tell us? Who picks the kings? God picks the kings, right? So so this, and, and I would say that's the same for our jobs. Maybe we get dumbfounded sometimes by thinking our job is just our job. When you need to understand your job is so much greater, that's your ministry and your calling. Like God has you where he has you for a greater purpose than just making a, a paycheck at the end of the week and, and being able to fix this or, or repair that or, or whatever your job is. That's your ministry and your calling. And if this guy is to succeed, he's got to make some difficult decisions. He's got to break ties with some things that they've been doing for a long time. So like him, we've got an awesome responsibility. Here's where it breaks down for him. When Asa decided that he was going to do what God wanted, he doesn't back down. He hears this word and he goes to work. He starts getting rid of the prostitutes and the shrines. He starts getting rid of the temples and the idols. He starts getting rid of, of all this stuff. Why? Because look at what verse 14 said. We'll come back to 14 a couple times. The high places were not taken away. Now, you can look at that two ways. I'm not 100% sure which way it's going. You could say he didn't remove any of the high places. Remember, sometimes the high places were the were the wrong ones. Or you could look, if he's getting rid of everything else and God is pleased with him, you could say he got rid of all the inappropriate high places and kept God's high place. 
All right, so you do a little study and kind of check that out where, where you are for yourself, right? The high places were not taken away, but Asa's heart was completely filled with Yahweh his entire life. This guy doesn't allow his family to decide how he's going to handle his bigger responsibilities. Sometimes we let our family decide how we're going to handle the big responsibilities, don't we? Right, whether, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Firing grandma, is that a tough thing? Man, that's a whole, can you imagine that? Family meeting. Granny, you got to go. Like, how mad would his own family be at him? What, what I'm trying to get at is sometimes we don't make hard decisions because we're worried about who will be mad at us. And we're worried about who will be hurt. Asa realizes, you know what? The, the nation's spirituality and my spirituality, my relationship with God is more important than somebody being mad at me and my family. And he does this in such a great way. And you need to understand, maybe maybe another side note here, is that queen mother is not a position anybody could apply for. I mean, th- this isn't. Really understand this. Like, you, we all know they had multiple wives and multiple kids and all that, right? So the queen's not established until the next king is picked. Now, that's kind of weird in our head, right? Like, we have you ever really thought about it like that? Like, you would normally think, like, the king and whoever he's married to, right? Nah. He's married to a lot of women, right? So he, he can't have a lot of queens. So what would actually happen is until the next king is picked, then they would determine who the queen mother is. So whoever his mama was would then become queen. Now, if we look, it skipped a generation with this lady, right? Because this is Asa's who? This is his grandmother. All right, so, so there must have been nobody able to take this spot from her, right, in, in the next line. So what we're looking at here is, we, or what we're being told secretly, I guess you could say, is that this lady probably wanted to hold on to power like anybody else who's been given power, right? And when you've been given power, you don't want to let go of power. All right, so this is a fine line for him to walk. Now, we don't know how rough it really was. We can only imagine, speculate. But eventually she does step down and, and, and she's gone. But here's here's what I want us to grab, guys, and here's what we need to know. Because this is a fine line sometime. Asa gives us this guidance. He does not disown his grandmother. Do, do you read anything about, like, she's kicked out the family and she's not allowed to come to family reunions? Like, they don't do Sunday dinner anymore? No. Her position is removed, but she's not removed. Does that make sense? Because sometimes I think that we get this, that we finally do get up the courage to do something, and like we just disown people. Y'all know y'all Facebook block them and Twitter block them, and, and can you block on Instagram? I don't even know if that's possible. Like you do all them blocks, like to get rid of everybody. That's not what God called you to do. God called you to make sure people are in their right position. Not that they got to get disowned and kicked out of your like your whole life, right? You just need to make sure you hold them in the right position. Does that make sense? Like God's not calling you like to get rid of everybody. You're not to be a monk and. And like sit on this, this, you know, pole all day long by yourself where no one can distract you. And, and it, no, like there's still those that you're supposed to minister to. And there's still those that you're supposed to guide to. And, and there's still those that you should be teaching. And, and who's to know like this guy by his walk, by grandma still being able to hang around, but she doesn't have a turnaround in her life. Now, I'm not saying she does. I'm just saying we don't know that she didn't. She might have been watching this and be like, man, I can't believe my grandson had the strength. You know, could you imagine if I had to kick Gigi out? What? Yeah, I'm with you because there's no chocolate chip cookies. There's no real sweet tea. I mean, there's there's none of the, the chicken and the ham and the, the macaroni and cheese and the green beans. I mean, we would wither away. No. What? <laughs> right. But could you imagine like sometimes when and, and I'll tell you, I don't have to imagine. I don't have to imagine. 
because my Gigi is outspoken, at least with me. And she will tell me when I say something that she don't like or when I go past 1201, uh, you know, or many other things, which is almost every week. So I like I just do it so I can hear from her. Right. But could you imagine, though, when I continue to have to make whatever that right call is that God's called me to make, the fact that she has to sit there and be like, secretly, well, grand boy did the right thing. He should have preached at 1205. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but could you imagine this grandma having that say, like she had to sit there and like whether she wanted to admit it or not, because I'm sure she didn't want to. But somewhere deep down, she had to say, man, Asa, my grand boy, he's doing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Like that had to affect her. So I just want to make sure we understand, like, we're not called to get rid of people. We're just called to put people in the right position. All right. Make sure we get that. All right. Asa never lowers the standards, this whole thing. Okay. Now, I can't imagine how desperate he was, but, but, but I was thinking about it and I put this down. Don't let desperation push you because I feel like when desperation gets high, right? Desperation gets high. Our standards become low. I mean, you just think of somebody like a testimony this morning with, with a young girl who thought it was, she was so desperate. She needed to swallow 40 something pills. You know what I'm saying? Like when desperation becomes high, standards become low. And I guess you could say that that's when we start to go down the road of mediocrity. All right. And that's not what we as believers are called to. We're called to, to, to make up our mind and stick with it. What did, what did Jesus tell his followers? Matthew 5, 37. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Matter of fact, he goes even deeper. He says, like, we always know that part, right? Like, yeah, let your yes be yes and your no be no. The, the, the rest of the verse says this. Anything else you do or anything beyond this comes from who? Satan, the evil one, right? So, so we're like, yeah, let your yes be yes and you know be no. But then we don't want to follow through the rest part because sometimes we don't let our yes be yes and our, and our no's be no. So we don't want to admit that, oh, that means we're letting Satan work in us, right? The evil one work in us, right? Asa never lowers his hand. He stuck to the decision and he paid the price. Now, I don't know what his price was on every level, okay? But I can imagine he had a lot to deal with. Are we willing to pay the price in order to do what God's called us to do? And you could say it this way, and I think this is probably the biggest, the biggest thing. And this goes to why we're able to read scripture every week without question of what we're going to read, which verse and, and all that. Asa focused on decision managing, not decision making. I'm a Paul, so those two phrases stay in, right? Because you got to think about them. He focuses on decision managing, not decision making. Decision making determines what we will do. Decision making creates the vision and the goal for where we're going. All right, so what was Asa's decision-making? Go back to verse 14. That was his decision-making. What did it say? Um, the last part of it, Asa was wholeheartedly devoted to Yahweh his entire life. That's his decision. He made that decision. All right, so now he's got to do some decision-managing. All right, so he's kind of like, you could say he's like Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, where he says, that's for me and my house. We're going we're gonna to follow the Lord. Like, you've made the decision, right? Now you've got to manage that decision. Failure doesn't come in decision-making for a lot of us. Failure comes in decision-managing. Am I right? I mean, think about it. all of us, I think we, we sometimes want to make and, and, and follow through with some good decision-making. We just can't manage the decision after we've made it. It's almost like our, our, our walk with God. Asa wasn't going to give in to temptation because he had made this commitment to God. Now, now as, as king Asa, he's got to manage this decision. And how he manages it, will determine if he's able to do everything he said he wanted to do. You, you could say it like this, almost like Abraham. Yeah. For me, when I became a father, Abraham's story just, it's like the aha moment. I don't know if any of you other dads maybe have, have, have read that story and been like that, but I'm like, how did this guy pick up his son and say, let's go up the hill? 
get the sticks, get, get the stone that we're going to start the sparks with, get everything except for the sacrifice, and let's go. Because he made a decision 20 to 30 years before that, that he was going to follow God wherever God led. And when you make a decision like that, it's easier to manage the small decisions to get there. He made that decision he was going to follow God. So, so he makes that decision 20 to 30 years prior. That's how he's able to say, you know what? Let's do this. No, Notice, nowhere in Abraham's story does, does he question God. He, he doesn't have any second guesses. He doesn't say, Lord, I don't, I don't think I heard you right. You said I'm going to sacrifice what? You know, even when his, his own son asked, he has a quick response of what the Lord will provide. There's no decision made years ago. Now it allows him the ability to manage the decision. You could use it in your own life. So it doesn't have to be something that, that significant. Or as far as that, that graphic, I guess I should say, all of it's significant. What about your marriages? You stand before the church and you take these vows, right? I promise to, to, to love you, to honor you, to cherish you for better or for worse, right? Whether you become rich or if you're flat broke, right? Some of y'all really didn't like that part, but you, you, you will follow through, you know, with it. Uh, whether you're going to be healthy or if I'm going to have to spend my entire life taking care of you because you're not healthy, right? You, you, you've made that. And since that day, you've been managing that decision. So some of you are not happy with how your marriages are. And here's what it is. You're not managing the decision well. You made a decision, but you're not managing all the stuff that goes along with it well. You made the decision to have a child, right? You're not managing how you raise that child the right way. And that's why, you know, your child looks like the third of angels that jumped out of heaven. All uh, right. So I'm just saying that maybe, maybe, maybe yours aren't like mine, right? Write this down. Failures are not the results of bad decision making, but the decision, the, the result of bad decision managing. I knew I was going to mix those two up before the end. Right? Think about this way. Salvation is a, is a decision to follow Christ, right? How do you, how do you manage that? Discipleship. And here's where, here's where now we, we get real, real, right? Because everybody's all about the salvation experience. Oh, we'll make that decision. But do you manage that decision? How you manage that decision is going to determine how great and how blessed your life is, whether you like it or not. How you manage that decision is going to decide the, the, the joys and the things that, that are added up for you at what we can call the, the end, right? It's, it's almost like if we're going to go to Florida, we're going to take a trip to Florida. Whoever wants to go, you get on board. Here's some things you got to determine. How are we going to get there? We're going to drive, we're going to fly, get a bus, you know, make Cliff drive that, that new camper and, and all that stuff. How are, we, how are we going to get there, right? When are we going to go? You got to, you got to, whichever one of y'all got the biggest who I'm riding with, all right? When are we going to go? You got to decide when to go. Who's going to go with us? Right? Who's going to make it? Uh, how are we going to pay for the trip? Uh, what are we going to do when we get there? We're going to Disney World. We're going somewhere else. How long are we going to stay? All that's got to be decided. Now, all those managing decisions don't change where we're going. They're just the details of the story, right? And, and that's sometimes what we need to make sure we understand. Like, like we get so lost on this argument of, of saved, once saved, always saved, and where we're going, all this. No. Like, you're, you're arguing the wrong thing. The argument's not like if you're going to get there. The argument is like how happy you're going to be, you know, and how pleased is the Lord going to be, you know, when you stand before him. And how much of a role did you play in making sure the kingdom was how the kingdom was supposed to be? It's not just that you got into the kingdom. It's that are you a benefit to the kingdom? Right. Some of you are going to be the last kid picked in the kickball game because you know benefit to the team. We don't get no amens on that because that hurt a feelings, right? Hold on, I don't like you, but that's the truth. 
Like, you want to know why people's getting picked before you? It's because they're benefit to the team. All right? That's just the reality of how it goes. There's no need to sugarcoat that and, and lie about it, okay? Here's another big one before we jump into the second part of, of, of Ace's life. The pain of discipline weighs ounces. The pain of regret weighs tons. Yeah, I thought that when I read it too, right? That's good, man. The pain of discipline weighs ounces. The pain of regret weighs tons. Now, now here's the huge takeaway from that. It's worth it to pay the discipline price now so that you don't have to pay, pay the regret price later. Do we understand that? Some of us, we don't, we don't like having to pay that discipline price, but the reality is it's worth it to pay the discipline price now because the regret price, man, it's so much higher, right? Look at the next part of this guy's life. If not, we'll be going way past 1205. 16 through 24. 16 through 24, this king now, he, he, he makes some mistakes, right? But, but what did it say about us? He kept Yahweh at the front and center. For his entire life. So, so maybe we get this lesson right here. God's not calling us to be perfect. And God doesn't hide his character away from, from his people in scripture. He shows us the good and the bad. You're like, what's the bad? Here's the bad if you missed it. This other king comes up, uh, Basa, uh, king of Israel, comes up against Judah. He, he built this place. Here's what he's doing. First, we just get a sign that there's still this struggle between the north and the south. Still conflict going on that should have never been going on. Then we get this guy who wants to get the upper hand by blocking the main route into Judah. So that this king will then be forced to rely on him. All right. So, so what's he doing? And sadly, the plan does affect Asa in a negative way. Verse 18, it says, so Asa took the silver and the gold that was left in the treasuries uh, of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house. And what does he do? He buys favor with this other guy. Who's he supposed to be getting favor with? God. Right. He, he falls, man. He, he gets, he gets stuck in a trap. And sometimes it's when we're pressured and backed into this corner that we've got to make even tougher decisions. Uh, Second Chronicles 16 tells us a little more detail, 7 through 10. Talking about God not being pleased with this and, and just to prove, to prove that God wasn't pleased, it says this. He sent his prophet, uh, Hanani, and he said this to tell him, because you have relied on the king of Syria, you have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Where the Ethiopians and, and the low, not, not a, an army with a lot of chariots and a lot of horsemen. Now, let me pause right here because we don't get the whole story since we're just flying through these kings, right? Asa, at one point in his ministry, takes takes a few hundred people and takes on a million, right? L- literally, take, take, I think it's I think it's like three hundred or something like that, or maybe I'm grabbing that from another. But but he's got this real small number and he takes on millions, and, he, and he's in the middle of this battle. And the only way he wins this battle is he prays the Lord. He says, Lord, this is on you. We're going to completely rely on you. And they went. So, so when this prophet speaking for God, you know, is asking him, it's almost like, did I not bless you like an awesome blessing in the middle of war previously? You know, so, so when he goes out, were, they, were the Ethiopians and the Lombard not a huge enough army with many chariots and many horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. You won that battle. Like you shouldn't have won it, but you won it because you relied on me. For the eyes of the Lord now run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And this you have done foolishly. You forgot. You ain't foolish. Therefore, from now on, you're going to have wars. Man, because he thought he could get his own stuff bathed the right way. Now he's going to have all these wars. And he does. All these wars continue to go on. And, and, and we'll look at more of that a little bit later, maybe. But verse 23, it says this. Talk about the end of this guy's life. In the time of his old age... He gets a, a disease in his feet. 
I have no idea what disease he gets in his feet or, or, or whatever it is. That's not the significant thing. The significant thing is this. When you, when you read 2 Chronicles 16, so again, where we just were, right after he gets a word from the Lord, he gets this disease. Do you think sometimes like God does stuff on purpose? That's safe to say. So, so you got in trouble because you relied on somebody you shouldn't have relied on. God has a talking to you. And then there's an opportunity to use God again because you get sick. You know, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 12, it tells us that he didn't seek out the Lord at all in his sickness. He seeked out his own country's physicians. And you just got to scratch your head and be like, come on, Asa. God, God set it up like perfectly for you. But then, then sometimes we got to say, come on, Philip, as we look in the mirror or whoever you are, as you look in the mirror, like God has set up this, this moment for you. And you, you don't do it. He refuses to hear a word from the Lord. Doesn't change the word of the Lord. He just refused to to listen to it. And, and he's a good guy who doesn't finish well. And and I I hate the example, but I love the example too because sometimes we think this phrase of oh when I get older I'll be better. It don't always work that way. All right, you only get better if you adhere to the word of the Lord. Age does not make you better. Okay, it might make you slower at committing sin because you move slower, right? <laughs> but you still commit the same sins. All right. If you don't decide not to. All right. We, we get more information just talking about, you know, showing how, how this guy messes up. Jeremiah 41 verse nine. It talks about this pit and it actually uh, refers back to it as a pit that Asa made in the fear of the king of Israel. Talking about, talking about Basha um, in this thing. Right. So so we get Proverbs twenty nine twenty five, which would have been written by this guy's, you know, great, great granddaddy, I guess you could say. Right. The fear of man brings about a snare. When we get so afraid of man that we begin to make the wrong decisions, that's when we get trapped into the wrong territories. That's, that's, that's what Proverbs is talking about. This chapter closes with, with, with two more kings. We get the, the short reign of, of Nadib, verse 28 and 29. He only, he only gets, uh, what does he get? Just a few years into the dynasty. Now, now, this, this part's so bad, 28 through 29. Basha kills him in the third year of Ace. I just, I just love, by the way. 15 and 16, you're going to keep seeing two things. One, you can finish reading about the guy in this other book. But two, you're going to get that Ace is still on the throne. So so who is God's, you could say, more select out of the two countries, two territories? You southern people should be really happy to be able to say the, the south will rise again. It's the one time you could say it and be okay. Right? You, other, the other time you'd, you'd have failed. Right? But you could. It's the south. God's trying to bless them. Right? So Asa in the south, is going to stay on his throne this entire time. Like, he's going through this, because it says it in the third year of Asa, and then later on it says the 27th year of Asa, and then it says the 31st year of Asa, and Asa is staying on the throne. But on the other end of things, things aren't going so well. Right? Look at 28 and 29, you get this king. He becomes king, and then not only is he killed, but he kills the whole house of Jeroboam. He ends the dynasty, which we were already told that was going to happen, so it shows just how fast God makes sure, right? And what I even like here, and I had to jot this down, and some of you may not like this, and I don't know if you agree or not, but it's the truth of the matter. God sometimes will use one wicked person to get rid of another wicked person. Right? God will use wicked to get rid of wicked. Now, we're going to really see that in chapter 16 if you didn't pay attention to it with, with all these assassinations, right? But, but, but here's what's going on, 33 through, through 34, the, the reign. Basha finally gets in. Uh, he becomes king over all Israel. Uh, he came to the throne through what? Assassination. Now, if somebody took the throne through assassination, should it surprise us that this guy probably does some wicked stuff, right, and leads the country in the whole wrong direction? They have a spiritual decline. They have a political decline. Every part of it is a decline for them. 
Verse 34 says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and he walked in the way of Jeroboam. Now, he was not a descendant of Jeroboam, but yet Jeroboam has set the stage for kings to continue to walk so negatively that this guy just follows through with it. 16 picks up right where it left off. Verse, verse 2, I lifted you out of the dust and I made you the ruler of my people. Who's talking? God. So, so, so we almost get like this little behind the scenes note that God was moving even through conspiracy to allow stuff to happen, right? But because he walked in the way of Jeroboam, this, this faces, this house is going to face the same judgment that Jeroboam faced. Eight through 14. And we're flying through 16, guys. So make sure you got to, just so we can get to Elijah next week. Verse eight says this. Eli, the son of Bashar, came king over Israel and he reigned only two years. Now, the hope of a king is to pass on a dynasty, right? I mean, every dad wants to pass on stuff, their legacy, you know, to, to the males in their household to, to carry it on and have this lasting dynasty and things to, to continue and, and to go. God will not bless a dynasty that is not for him. And as we see, two years, this guy's over. Verse 10, then Zimri, who went and struck him and killed him. And the Moses Asa, by the way, is still on the throne. 27th year of Asa, king of Judah. He reigned in his place. Right, he's still there. And what's happened? Assassination yet again, right? In less than 50 years, the first two dynasties of Israel's kings have come to an end, and every member of their families has been eliminated. Now we talked about this for two chapters that got, you know, and, and there sometimes is our thing. We read chapters like this, and we're like, man, God is so harsh. But then we, we read previous chapters where God wasn't doing nothing, and we were like, man, why ain't God doing something? Like, God can't ever make us happy, right? We were always just wanting to, to be against the, the way he's doing it. 15 through 20, the seventh day and the seven day reign of Zimri, right? Seven days. You think God is really happy with this lineage? No, this guy's done. Then we get to verses 21 through 28, which is the family line that, that actually actually does last and, and get started, even though it's evil, by the way. 12 year reign of, of, of Omri. Omri starts this lineage and it looks very promising. You read this stuff, he sets up a new city capital. He buys this city and he gets a deal on it, right? He's smart enough to buy a, a city that's on a hill, so he's got good defense, you know, when you're up high above your, your things. This guy is so evil. God raises up, now some of you may have already heard of this guy, Elijah. God raises up Elijah to take him on. All right, that, that's how serious this, this guy's going to be, which we're going to get to in future weeks, right? Here, here's my big thing, though, for us. As we read this, and, and if you do check out any history books, we got to keep in mind what success for God's viewpoint really looks like because it's not this guy's way this guy sets up he, he gains stuff things are going well but 26 or 25 through 26 tell us that he walks in the way of jeroboam he's, he's still walking in that in that negative way he's the sixth king since the division jeroboam being the first and each king after him we, we even got to read what he was worse than those before him he was worse than those before him we talked about it a couple weeks ago i think we're going downhill you go downhill faster the more weight you put on right these guys, these guys are putting on the weight, and man, they're flying downhill, right? Keep in mind, now, secular, secular story history, just to be honest with you guys, lists this guy as a phenomenal king because he does great as far as prophets. He does great as far as reign and territory and, and all this great stuff. But worldly success is not godly success. 29 through 34, Ahab's son gets this 22-year reign going. Asa in his 38th year. This guy's still going strong. Right. He reigns, which we looked at in verse 10, he reigns 41 years total. You know why there are seven different kings in Israel. He gets 41 years because he sets his heart on doing things God's way 
while the other side has seven different kings in that same period of time. Verse 30. Ahab, the son of Amar, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all those that were before him. Again, getting more and more evil. If I can say anything to dads and, and, and parents, please set your children up for success. Because all we see is a downward spiral for a lot of these guys because daddy did it that way and grandpa did it that way and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. It started all the way back with Solomon. Solomon began to worship pagan gods. And now we've got people like Amari and Ahab. They actually commanded the people to worship idols. So, so you see how fast this, this went. Verse 30, 31, which we'll go to because I'm sure everybody's heard of Jezebel. Uh, notice any, any girls named Jezebel in here? No? Hmm. Anybody plan to name their daughter Jezebel? No. All right. Maybe there's a reason why. Takes his wife Jezebel uh, and his king. And, and he goes, this lady, and, and here's here's maybe just a little note for if you're not married yet, be careful who you pick for a spouse. Right? If you are married, you should be building each other up to a better relationship with God. She she builds him up the negative way. And, and, and here's the thing. I don't even know necessarily if maybe this guy wanted to be that evil. But when you're married to somebody, you worry about making them happy and pleasing them. So, so there's why he gets this downward spiral. He follows daddy's example or great great granddaddy's example of marrying foreign women. Something God had commanded you not to do the entire time. And then you get to, to verse 33. Look at what 33 says about him. Ahab also made uh, an Asher pole. Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Could you imagine that being said about you? Maybe the whole point of reading this stuff is just to like question, like, is is God going to write something like that about me in the book? Like, I made him matter than, than anything else. I mean, this this is crucial, man, and what's going on. And again, worldly success, people would have would have cheered when this guy picked Jezebel as his queen because she's got a, a political party coming with her that would help benefit the kingdom. But again, our, our goal is not to do things the world's way. Our goal is to do things God's way. And it closes 34. In the days of, of Heel, of Bethel, he decided to rebuild Jericho. Well, I just want to remind us, because it's been a long time since we've been at Joshua, what Joshua 6.26 said. Kurt, now, this is back when, when, they, when they, they destroyed Jericho. Chapter 6, verse 26, it says, Cursed be the man before the Lord who raises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn and with his youngest. He shall set up its gates. What did we just read? It cost this guy to rebuild this city that was told to never be rebuilt. Literally, what? And the foundation is first, and then the gate is second. Now, to show you how cool some of this is, and I, I don't, we don't get a we don't get a detail of which way this actually went, but they had so there, there's his, historic uh, proof that they had such evil. I'll call it. That's the only thing, only word I can really give it. Such evil that literally they would lay the foundation of these new places with their firstborns as a sacrifice to pagan gods. Now, could you imagine that? Just 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 sitting your child, your firstborn child, out there in whatever mix they use for mortar mix, for the foundation of a city you were told to never even rebuild anyway. I mean, this is just pure. This is how evil it's getting. So, so my point is this: maybe maybe the highlight moment is we look at us like, man, they're getting pretty evil. And you have the thought when you watch the news, man, our world is pretty evil. What it may be God is saying, you should be reading these chapters because it needs to wake you up. 
Get rid of that stupid phrase that talks about all the time of, oh, God is blessing America. It got, no. Please understand that, okay? God blesses his people, right? And he, he can have American people and he can have African people. And he can have, you know, Spanish, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? But no, God is not just blessing us as Americans because we're Americans. All right? That, that's not how it works in the scheme of things. What, 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 what was the promise from the prophet uh, to Asa? If, if you follow him, you will be blessed. But if you abandon him, you will be abandoned. Now, not, not even to get on any of the, the, the side notes, but let's just be honest. One of the worst places now is what? School. Right? Am I right? School? Have you guys heard about things that go on in there? Where's one of the first places we decided to kick God out? So you could, it would be safe to say that we abandoned him in the school, so therefore he has abandoned the building. But then we're always questioning, man, where's God at? He's right where you put him. He's right where you put him. What, what if that was for our own life? Maybe that's some of our own, our own stuff. Where, where's God at in my marriage? Where's God at in my work? Where, where's God at in my walk? He, he's right wherever you put him. Now that's crazy, right? That he's such a perfect gentleman. That he loves you. He's crazy about you. He'll care about you. But he's right where you put him. Maybe that's just something that should, should get us thinking, right? This merciful warning that God had given them. Please don't do this. And yet they thought they could go against God, right? He didn't take the warning seriously. Maybe that's a question for us to end as we get to Ezra, the last, last verse. Will we take God's warning seriously? Will we take him seriously? Because we're about, we're about to dive into some real good stuff, man. Like 15 and 16, that's, that's why I think so much is just listed there. It's a setup for what's coming. Right, Elijah's coming and, and, and some really cool stories and stuff that's coming. Will we take the warnings of Scripture seriously? Will we look at chapters like 15 and 16, realize that God is keeping track, and ask ourselves, would, would I be happy with what God was writing about me and saying about me? Right? As a nation, we got so much to, to learn, and, and hopefully we're not like Israel and take forever to learn it. You know, Israel stays in this for hundreds and hundreds of years. I don't think that was God's great plan for them. So hopefully we learned that we can turn ours around. And hopefully we'll learn, like like Asa, I think it all starts with that decision. I mean, you, you think back to Asa and, and the example we get from him, and it all starts with a decision. So, so maybe just leave you with this question as we pray. What decision do you need to make? And what decision are you going to make? And what are you going to do to manage that decision? Because after you make it, you got to have a plan to manage it. You don't have a plan to manage it, <laughs> then it ain't going to do nowhere. You, you know, the, you could say that the... A pre-decision, right? I got a pre-decision to do well. Well, anybody ever played Guitar Hero when it came out? Am I the only one? Like four of us. All right, those guys have musical ability, so I'm not going to talk to them. Who else played Guitar Hero? Do you have a musical ability? All right, why did you like playing Guitar Hero? Oh, you didn't like it. Oh, well, why'd you raise your hand? Put your hand down, man. You're old. Oh, you sucked at it. So that's why. He didn't like it because he sucked at it. Good answer. I like it. Did you play Guitar Hero? Do you have musical ability? All right. Why'd you like it? Yeah, you can rock out, man. Now, I, I, I'm just telling you, like when the very first one come out, we'd have youth groups over and we'd have like guitar hero tournaments, right? I can't play a guitar for nothing, but you better believe I was right there swinging my hands and pushing fingers and you thought I was the Rock King 101 because it was cool to pretend. Now, pre-decision, pretend. They both start with pre, right? There can be power in pre if it's done the right way. But if you're just pretending, then there's no power in pre. That makes sense? Don't be a pretender. 
Make a predecision to do things the right way. Manage it out, right? Manage it out so that decision lasts. So that when it comes time to make hard decisions like Asa had to make, you can make them. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. <laughs> God, I feel like the last couple of weeks I had to be honest with you and tell you that uh, I wanted to skip past a couple of these chapters to get to, to the chapters I wanted to do. But Lord, there's so many lessons that you're trying to teach us through it. I thank you, Lord God, that you allow us not to skip things, Lord God. God, that you allow your verses to perform the setup, Lord God, for what's to come. But Lord God, I pray that as you're, you're tilling soil, as you're planting seed, as you're scattering some, some water and sunlight over us, Lord God, that God, we, we get whatever part that we need to be getting right now so that a crop can be produced later, Lord. Lord, I, I pray, Lord God, that you take this morning, that you highlight just significant things in the, the history of Israel and, and these many kings that we talked about, Lord. You open our eyes to see where maybe we need to make some decisions, some changes, some things that in our life maybe needs to go or get put back in the right position rather than the position we've allowed it to be in. Lord God, make us courageous enough, Lord God, to follow through on your promises. Lord, to heed to your word, hear things like today, Lord God, and know that we can do it because you give us the power to do it. In your great and holy name we pray. Amen.